This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Going pretty well, Al. Just trying to keep up with just the breakneck pace of all these developments in the wrestling business that have been going on. Seems like way more than ever. Yeah, yeah. We kind of took a, a week off in part because I was on uh, vacation. And, and yeah, it's like the news piles up and, and there's a lot to talk about uh, with all the comings and goings. We'll talk about it all. Uh, Bray Wyatt leaving uh, WWE. That was a big story from over the weekend. Uh, rumors of, of CM Punk and maybe even Daniel Bryan showing up on AEW. Um, and then uh, even John Cena, that, that's a big change uh, from from what WWE's had uh, as of late, being a big part of SummerSlam, Goldberg. Uh, so, yes, again, lots of comings and goings. We will talk about all of it uh, in a moment. Um, also, a, a newcomer uh, in, in that uh, depart- the, the comings uh, department, I guess, in NXT, uh, Frankie Monet, the, the former Ty Valkyrie, we have got... Uh, in interview with her uh, coming up. Stay tuned. It's from our uh, YouTube page and a lot of fun. She talks about, um, you know, coming over to WWE, uh, how she got into the wrestling business and um, uh, her her past in acting, her aspirations, uh, so much more. So stay tuned for that in uh, just a moment. Uh, Brian, but we should also talk about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So the, there is an issue that is out right now. I believe it is the October issue with uh, Britt Baker on the cover. Uh, but uh, I believe this week the digital edition drops for the November issue. And uh, we got an early preview of it. Let me pull up what we have here. Um, lots in here as well, um, not the least of which is the 2021 PWI Readers Poll. Um, we ask. Uh, our uh, readers, uh, 50 questions facing uh, the sport and uh, a lot a lot of uh, pandemic stuff in here, but also the usual stuff about best technical wrestler, best brawler, best flyer. Always uh, kind of a fun glimpse into a uh, fan's perception of uh, the wrestling business. Uh, so you want to check uh, that out. Uh, a big feature is our cover story about uh, sort of the, the biggest match that is I guess on the horizon uh, now, we'll see if it if it takes uh, place uh, sometime in the future. Uh, Roman Reigns versus The Rock. Um, you know, we talk about the prospect of, of it happening soon, what it might look like. Um, what else? Uh, I've got a this came together very last minute and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we kind of had our initial hot seat um, interviewee fallout. So we had to kind of throw something together last minute reached out to dave Meltzer of all people and uh, he was awesome jumped on the phone with me we talked for like two hours uh and we could have kept on going but with, uh, a really fun interview that i'm proud of uh in the hot seat talking to a guy who is such a huge part uh, of this wrestling business but you don't hear that much of um kind of talking about himself and his career and uh it was fun we talked about um you know everything from some some regrets some missteps maybe um, over his 40 plus years covering the wrestling business, uh, what you know, the prospect of somebody of him retiring and somebody else maybe taking uh, the mantle uh, in the future. And of course, we talked about the star system and um, if there's such a thing as an eight star match or a nine star match. So uh, a lot of fun. Um, check that out. And uh, so much more. We got, you know, again, we, we've really kind of expanded 
um, the coverage to include a lot of names and promotions that you you normally uh, might not see uh, featured in the magazine. So features on Powerhouse Hobbs, on Brian Johnson. We've got a, a Canadian star, Jeremy Prophet, um, put something together for us. Uh, so much more. What what what's uh, I'm going through the the index. I'm sure you are well represented here. Do you know remember what you did for this magazine? Well, that cover story is mine. That Rock and Roman Reigns. Oh, you do Reigns and Rock. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that was something that that I pitched. I just felt like you know it's weird. It's it, it's sort of like the biggest match that you could think of, but it's almost like it's not talked about enough. And I feel sometimes like. People are afraid to talk about it because they might jinx it like it won't happen. So I felt like, well, we don't know if or when this is ever going to happen. I mean, a lot of people are hoping maybe WrestleMania, but uh, meaning a rock, a match between The Rock and Roman Reigns. But um, so I wanted to do something kind of teasing that talking about it in a way and sort of like a throwback to the types of cover stories that we'd see a lot in uh, The Wrestler and Inside Wrestling and PWI back in the day where where you'd be speculating about a potentially huge dream match. But in this case, it's one that I mean is more likely than not going to actually happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, everything is pointing in that direction. Right. You wrote about uh, kind of comparing it to other sort of generational mm -hmm. uh, clashes. If, if this comes together, it, obviously the, the, the biggest match that could be put together right now, but it, what would be the last match um, that was this big uh, I mean, obviously Cena versus The Rock, but I think this might be even bigger. Well, in part because The Rock is bigger, right? I mean, The Rock's profile has only increased over the last uh, ten years. He is the biggest movie star uh, in the world. I mean, if I was still in my in my role as sort of like the WWE Ballyhoo machine, you know, I I would probably say, oh, it's the, it's going to be the biggest match of all time and the greatest generation. <laughs> match ever but you know if i'm looking at it in a more sober light i mean you know uh, on the list that i put there that that sidebar that's in there uh, it's interesting the last time something like this really happened on this level it was the rock again it was you know the rock versus yeah. cena yeah. and and even then the rock was playing the role that he'd be playing now which is sort of like you know coming back the star from the past, like reclaiming his spot sort of thing. And while it's true, uh, yes, The Rock has gotten even bigger than he was then. I, I'm hesitant to say that Roman Reigns, for as big as he is now, is as big as Cena was at He's that not. time. I don't yeah. think he, was, he is. And so, I, I mean, I'd have to say realistically, Rock and Cena at the time, especially, it was probably a slightly bigger deal than this. But I but I mean, that's not you know, it's still a very rare kind of a match. It's a match you don't get every year. That's for sure. On the flip side, what this would have this would have a few things that the Rock and Cena didn't have. Um, for one, it would be a clear baby face and a clear heel. I mean, that was one thing that was kind of an uphill battle with Rock Cena was uh, who is the 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 good guy uh, in this and clearly more people were behind the rock than than john cena who still had a lot of detractors uh back then but but cena was most certainly not the heel so this would be everybody behind the rock right you know it That's would be kind point. of the whole wrestling world getting behind them and then obviously there's the added layer of them being related them them being cousins i mean it's just um it, it, it's such a, a perfect storm and, uh, and, and obviously, Reigns is doing such amazing work. And if he could carry this through next year's WrestleMania, um, it, it'll be as big. You know, I think of Hogan versus The Rock was another uh, big one. 
But uh, some of that is kind of in hindsight, because remember, that wasn't even the main event of that show. So right. in terms of, of build and anticipation, um, yeah, I mean, you've got to go way, way back for something this big. Also, the build, the potential buildup for this is better than anything that I can think of in recent years, just because it's it's different from Rock and Cena, because the whole thing now is Reigns has been consistently built up as this unstoppable force and this bully and this guy that, you know, everybody wants to see lose finally. You know, it, it's kind of like what was happening with Lesnar, but it, it's always in the background. You know, it's the perfect scenario for The Rock to kind of step in. And it, it, it's sort of like what's happening with Cena, but like on a whole other level. You know, it's like Cena, as as huge as this is right now with Cena and Reigns, in the grand scheme of things, when we look back on this era, it's almost like this might be just sort of the setup to, to something yeah. even bigger down the road, right? Of the guy, you know, who people want to see shut up Roman Reigns even more than John Cena, you know? Right, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a WrestleMania main event uh, in itself and a big one mm-hmm. in Cena versus Reigns. And right, I mean, it's really just kind of the uh, the appetizer for, for what's to come. So, uh, yeah, you've got some great analysis in this magazine. You definitely want to uh, check it out. Go to pwi-online.com to get this issue, to subscribe either digitally or to the print edition. Uh, as we mentioned, the digital edition comes out much sooner. You'll have it this week. Um, if you want to do that and and uh, both ways, you get a big discount half off uh, the cover price. It's absolutely the way to go. Uh, and and we're getting work uh, uh, working on the PWI 500. I've been burning the midnight oil, so to speak. How about you? Uh, how, mu- how much progress you've been making? Well, I, I don't want to make you feel bad here. <laughs> Are you all done again? I'm done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, but outside, but there's a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I, I work from home. So, I mean, like I, I'm, 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 I have a luxury right now being able to devote a lot of time to these things. And that's why I also was able to get my, my book done when I did, but, but also I'm motivated because I have a I have so many things hap- that I have to work on that I kind of, tried to sort of get it off my plate as quickly as I could. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I am motivated by the prospect yeah. of not having to work. Right. So you want <laughs> not, yeah. not that I don't enjoy it. I do enjoy doing it, but I, I wound up getting so many things on my plate at the same time. Like I've like the stuff with the chic book right now is that we're in the copy editing stage and, and they're looking to sort of like lay it out by the, by the end of the summer. So I have like all these deadlines kind of creeping up on me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a bigger discussion here about sort of the, the changing face of, of work and commuting. But right. uh, it's something I, I've it's, it's counterintuitive, but uh, but also makes common sense. Um, working from home, there's that added incentive of when you're done, you're done. Right. And, and, and you're home and you can do whatever you want. I mean, when when you've got to be in the office nine to five, whether you finish your work at 10 a.m. or 12 p.m. or 2 p.m., you're still there until five o'clock. Right. right? Right. And I I don't have, you know, the traditional nine to five schedule anymore. Thank God. I mean, uh, but so, I mean, it it, it does help. I mean, it gives me a leg up on on banking these 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 things out quicker. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've done a fair amount of progress. I got the top 10 out of the way. That's always uh, the 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 biggest piece of this, right? Because each one of those is considerably longer than, than all the, the other ones uh, in the magazine and now kind of uh, chopping away at, at the rest of them. I think I've got about 50 to do and I've got about 20 down. So, uh, but these, you know, the, the um, 
the the challenging part, which is also kind of the fun part, is um, discovering some people that maybe you're not that familiar with. You know, um, I make no bones about it. Being an American fan, uh, my my exposure to some international uh, wrestling uh, can be uh, limited. Uh, but this is the time of year that you really dig in. You get you know so and so's profile and. You jump on on YouTube and all these different sites and really kind of try to dig in what's this guy about, and you discover guys that maybe you're not that familiar with, and and it's a blast. You know, um, a match I had heard of, uh, heard about a lot, but hadn't seen until I started putting this together was uh, Shingo and Will Osprey from from earlier this year, which I think Meltzer gave uh, six stars to, and it was uh, Osprey's first and I think only defense of the. IWGP world title and man I was just absolutely it, it was one of the few times and I think you do this too where it's like you call the kids in kids you have to watch this match uh, yes. you know and and, uh, and and they did and we were all just kind of blown away what a match so uh, yeah that's the fun stuff about putting the, the 500 together uh, but we still got a ways to go uh, before that comes out uh, the November issue with PWI poll uh, Brian's feature on the rock versus Roman Reigns and so much more uh, available this week, go to pwi-online.com and check it out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you get our podcast. Subscribe to the uh, completely free PWI weekly newsletter uh, at pwi-online.com. Um, you can follow us on social media at official PWI on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, we're doing a lot more with our YouTube page. That's where our interview uh, coming up with uh, Frankie Monet uh, is from. So uh, check that out. Uh, and what else? Uh, drop us a line here at uh, Podcast at outlook.com or pwi at kappapublishing.com. Uh, so uh, let's get into it, Brian. Um, like I said, uh, lots of changes in the rosters of AEW and WWE over the last few weeks. Um, the, the latest sort of shoot a drop was over the weekend with uh, the really surprising news that uh, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, was released by WWE. We hadn't really seen him much since... Um, WrestleMania, we've talked some about here. I mean, I I thought that match was kind of disastrous. Uh, and I'll, I'll preface all this by by saying, you know, obviously I, I'm not a big fan of, um, I shouldn't say Bray Wyatt, but but certainly of uh, the Fiend character. Um, and I thought WWE has been better without that character uh, on television. But certainly you, you don't wish for a guy to to lose his job. Um, and I was as surprised as as the next person. Uh, how about you? You know, what do you make of it? On one hand, they say it's cost cutting, but I mean that really doesn't tell the story because everything you could cut John Cena tomorrow, you could cut Roman Reigns tomorrow, and and save money. Uh, when you cut a guy uh, who who makes a lot of money, the determination you're making is that he's not worth that money. Uh, so so, what do you make of this? Well, looking back on on his WWE career now, I find that. I think the biggest problem with him, because I, I think he's extremely talented, I think he's one of the best promos probably of the last 10 years and things like that, and, and, and his characters, they've always been interesting. But I think what the issue became is his, how do I say this, his characters, whether it be you know the original concept of Bray Wyatt or, or The Fiend and what it became, they're, they're very high concept, and I feel like they work as as a creation you know as as a fictional creation like if you were to make a movie or something about either one of those versions it would be fascinating but i think the weekly grind of pro wrestling and sports entertainment and what it is and what do you actually do with that character 
that becomes the problem because uh, I, I just don't think they had a very long shelf life. Like, like as great as Bray Wyatt's promos were, and I'm, I'm talking about the original version of the character, you know, after a while, that brilliant promo, it started to just feel like it was the same promo every time and he was never really saying anything. And it starts to get stale. And, and that doesn't happen with every character, but I feel like for some reason... With him and his characters, it did happen. I, you know, the, those were the type of characters that do not benefit from weekly television exposure. And so, you know, I think he's got a great future ahead of him. I mean, I, I hope he would go to AEW. I mean, I, the no-brainer thing might be to get him involved with the Dark Order, you know. And, and I mean, in, in terms of that, too, I think it should also be said that there was some talk that maybe he had been dealing with some health issues, specifically mental health issues in, in whether it be coping with the death of, of Brody Lee and things like that, that might have also played a part in his not being used consistently on TV as much as he had been. Um, but, you know, I mean, hopefully he'll he'll land on his feet. But, but I mean, right now, it's, but it, the top priority is that he just that he's OK and that he and that he kind of sort himself out before deciding what he's going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it really is a shame because we talk so much about kind of how old the WWE roster is, and he was absolutely on, on the younger side. I think now he's 34, 35 years old um, and was one of their top guys for, for quite a while now. Right. I mean, in, in every aspect, headlining show, selling merchandise, he was a guy that they they had built around over the last couple of years. But I think you touched on it. I mean, this has been a problem with Bray Wyatt almost since uh, day one is that the 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 character the the gimmick and not just the fiend but even before that um so much of his act is the gimmickry kind of this extracurricular uh stuff and we know he can work i mean you go back to that early feud he had with john cena back in uh 2014 2015 some phenomenal matches uh mm -hmm. out of that but what's the last not even good Bray White match that you could point to, but like normal Bray, Bray White match um, that you could point to. It, it is so, so gimmick heavy and has been for a while uh, that, yeah, you kind of leave behind this scorched earth and there, there's not much you could do with him. Uh, and and it, it's worth saying, I can't remember another wrestler who so, you know, and, and he hasn't even been in the company, I think 10 years, but over those years, um, how many times have we had these these long hiatuses that, um, you know, maybe there was some some other reasons behind it, medical or what have you. But clearly we're largely motivated by like fans are burnt out on this and we need to, to, to take you off TV and kind of do a reset and, and bring you back. And that's not what you want. I mean, you know, people will who who um, maybe would defend kind of the gimmickry would point to somebody like the undertaker and say well you know who was a bigger gimmick a bigger, bigger character than, than the undertaker but the the undertaker really never wore out his i mean he took some he stepped aside sometimes too for various reasons but i but, feel like several times the last few years we got to the point like i cannot stand to see bray wyatt for one more minute on on my television it it was um uh, it was too much it didn't fit in with anything else and uh, you know, er every character and every wrestler, a, a large motivation of, of them being put out there should be to help get uh, their opponents over. And I feel like uh, Bray Wyatt did the opposite a lot of times 
over the last couple, you know, you think about Seth Rollins' last run as a babyface world champion a couple years ago. I mean, I think I don't want to come put it completely on him, but but Bray Wyatt was a uh, a big reason that he ultimately failed. Uh, you you think back to that that Hell in the Cell match was one of the worst things I've ever seen, and after that, I mean, you've got him drowning Braun Strowman in the swamp and that disaster at WrestleMania with John Cena, and this year at WrestleMania with Randy Orton. Uh, there's so much more bad than good, at least to my particular taste and understanding that there are people who have different tastes. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I feel badly that he's out of work. Um, but I also kind of understand, and, and, and some of this is, is, um, an indictment of WWE that, that they let this happen. Uh, but you also understand how there might be a feeling of, you know, this is kind of not salvageable. No, and, and, and the undertaker is, an, an unfair comparison, I think, to, to make to anybody because he's he really is this kind of once in a, in a lifetime thing where a character like that, by all in t- by all measures, if you look at wrestling history, should never work and it should never have worked. But it did. And it not only did it work, but it worked better than like ninety nine percent of anything ever works. Yeah. And uh, part of that was just this ingenious and I think sometimes maybe lucky or whatever you want to call it way of reinventing him and evolving and changing him in ways that always seem to be just perfect. Because if you think about it, in the early years of, of him, of his character, you really weren't in the era yet of kind of like this weekly event television where, of Monday Night Raw and things like that, where you can get more mileage out of people. And by the time they got to that era of Monday Night Wars, where it's like, you know, constant, you know, storylines moving so quickly. Once they got there, I mean, The Undertaker was not the same Undertaker anymore. They found interesting things to do where first he's, you know, the leader of the Ministry of Darkness, which was phenomenal. And then he's the biker character, which I know not everybody liked. But let me tell you something, humanizing him in that way at that moment in time I think it was the thing to do. I, I think he would have gone the way of Bray Wyatt if they hadn't done that. Because you've now you've got this guy on TV every single week. And you can't just do that Undertaker entrance every single week. It, it would get really bad. And when they brought him back to that original Undertaker, he was the rare special attraction. Only coming out a couple times a year, you know. So they found these ways to to dodge the inevitable and keep him fresh which is which almost never happens and it definitely did not happen with Bray Wyatt. So what do you do with him when you you mentioned AEW he, you know going back to this whole issue of of him being so gimmick heavy part of the problem with that is that if if you're an AEW or you're in New Japan and you recognize Bray Wyatt as being a big star and you want to bring him over he he can't be the fiend right um and you know, so you're talking about you, you can bring in Wyndham Rotunda and he, he can look the way he looks and I guess he could talk the way he talks. But, um, you know, I think you, you would get into probably some some murky area about intellectual property if you went too far uh, with the gimmickry. And beyond that, do, do you want to? I mean, that's why um, I think he, he kind of ultimately I, I don't want to say failed because he 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 was a difference maker, but but it, it's 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 he's won't be working for WWE uh, now. I think it's because that that character just um, lost a lot of steam. So, but with without that, what do you have? Uh, again, we haven't even really seen Bray Wyatt wrestle a match um, 
uh, or a good match in in a long, long time. So, so what are you getting by bringing him in? I think that uh, well, I mean, look look what they did, you know, with bringing Luke Harper in and making him yeah. Brody Lee. I mean, that what what I think is interesting is they could go one of two ways if they were to bring him in. One way would be to have it be the complete anti WWE type of character where his whole storyline is WWE ruined me and now I just want to be uh, myself. Damn it. I, I've I don't been wanna, there, done that. I, I've, I don't want to be I, I want to show you who I really am. Like they could do that. Yeah. Or, you know, they could get him involved. Like I said, and this, you know, I'm not the first person to think of this, but something involving the dark order. Cause you already have the connection with Brody Lee there where it could be, He's not the fiend. He's not Bray Wyatt, but there's enough of a hint and a whiff of, okay, we know this guy is a weird, creepy kind of cult leader and, and you can plug him into to a faction like that, which has become a bit of a, of a joke. I mean, I know Adam page is, is affiliated with them, but, but since Brody's passing, you know, they don't really have a clear cut leader. They're kind of relegated to wrestling on dark and things like that. And having a personality like like him, like Bray Wyatt or Wyndham Rotunda or whoever he'd be at the helm could really reinvigorate that group again and, and make them make them vital again. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that you'd risk being very derivative. And it's something we've talked about here is uh, A.W., you know, is, is walking a fine line and, and overdoing it. And, and we'll talk about, you know, it, them pushing that a little bit further now uh, with some, some more rumored uh, new signings. But you, you don't want them to be TNA circa 2011, where we'll grab anybody that was um, over WWE. And, and granted, he's not anybody. He was one of their top, top guys. I get that. But he was a top guy because of that gimmick. Uh, I would say I'd like to see him uh, do a complete 180, sort of like what we've seen out of Chris Jericho, and really kind of um, go against all his instincts and and reinvent himself. And we see a completely different Wyndham Rotunda, you know, uh, and and it doesn't mean abandoning what brought him to the table. We know he's a great talker. We know he he's great at emoting. Um, let's see that. But let's see that completely reinvented. Um, you know, I'd, I'd I'd be curious what he would be, look like as um, I don't want to say a, a straight laced baby face, but uh, a a kind of badass, you know, anti-authority uh, good guy. Uh, cutting more sort of traditional wrestling promos that aren't all kind of in space uh, and and working good matches, you know, uh, you know he, I, I, for, for his own good. I think he needs to step away from uh, some of of the, the gimmickry and, you know, and he's almost and, and, and you saw the feedback from his um, colleagues when he was released and what you hear over and over again is how creative he was and uh clearly that's that's true uh but if ultimately that that creation didn't work out then then uh it, you know on on one hand you can fault WWE and I think they deserve some of the fault for for uh ultimately this not working out but if so much of the vision behind the fiend and Bray Wyatt and all these characters were his then it also uh rests on him so uh yeah I I think he really needs to consider completely turning the the act uh upside down uh look i'm sorry you want to add something no i was going to say something that i think will actually lead into what what i'm i'm thinking 
you you want to talk about next, but it has to do with this thing we've we've talked a lot about. You know, we don't want AEW to become you know the next TNA, right? That that's a theme that keeps coming up because we keep seeing people switching over. But I just want to say something, and and I've been seeing I've been coming to this realization more and more. There's a very different dynamic at work here, and I'm going to try to explain it as quickly as I can. But like this whole thing of of people going from WWE to AEW and now, you know, we're hearing about Daniel Bryan and we're hearing about CM Punk and we just had Aleister Black and other people. Um, I don't really see it that way anymore because here's the difference. Um, What was happening back then with TNA was people that WWE either didn't want anymore. Maybe they were a little older or they were hurt or they had uh, issues maybe that the office didn't like. In other words, all the people that were going to TNA, they would have rather been in WWE, but they, but, but TNA was their best option. At least that's the way I saw it. What's happening now. It reminds me more of what was going on. Let's say in the, in the nineties, when you had people from the WWF going to WCW, Uh, Not because they didn't have an option, but because it actually was becoming the better option or what you saw in the 80s when when people from Crockett would jump to the WWF. Right. And and, and everybody would say, well, how come no one's saying, you know, when is Hulk Hogan going to go to the NWA? Why is everybody saying when is Ric Flair going to come to the WWF? The reason was because that was the place to be and everybody knew it. And I think something is happening right now where AEW is gaining this steam and it's becoming the cooler place where people want to be. And I think that's a very different dynamic than TNA. I I, uh, I really agree. And it's one of the things I wanted to, to talk about. And uh, uh, beyond that, right, beyond which one has got the, the momentum and, and the cool factor and all that, you get into the question of which one's got the, the better roster and the more star-studded roster. And a part of this was a revelation coming out of um, uh, putting together the, the PWI 500. Maybe this will be my my take on it. But, um, you know, you, you look at those rosters at WWE and, and AEW, and, and the reality is, any way you parse it, WWE still has a, a good lead. They are the, the brand. Um, you know, th- that part of me reminds me uh, not just of... of TNA, but but even WCW, it, 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 WWE sort of um, or WWF at the time is kind of Xerox, right, or Kleenex. They they are the 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 brand, and so the reality is that that those initials AEW still um, have have not hit the mainstream the way WWE has. But sort of like what happened with WCW uh, back in the '90s, at some point you look at the two rosters and you say, well, this other company's got the better roster and actually has more stars, so. It, let's assume for the moment that uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan do show up on AW, and, and um, certainly with Punk, uh, all the signs are that that it's going to happen. Uh, then you look at that roster, and you look at John Moxley and Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and CM Punk, and um, you know throw in there MJF and Hangman Page and. Uh, oh, yeah, Cody, I'm, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of people. And then put that up against WWE's roster. And, and when we were putting the 500 together, I think that there was kind of that realization is how quickly you were kind of out of that that top tier of stars. And you've got um, Roman Reigns, right? Clearly big star. 
for the moment, John Cena, but John Cena is far from, uh, yeah, th- that's the thing that WWE has is in terms of the, the very biggest stars uh, in the world and in, in the last several generations, they've got them, The Rock and, and John Cena, but those are not, you know, full-time guys, far from it. Um, they, they may have them at their disposal over the next year, but that's not your foundation. So you clear those guys out of the way and, you know, there's Roman Reigns. To a, a you know a much lesser extent, a Bobby Lashley, a Drew McIntyre, Charlotte, um, you know it it doesn't even get to be a question about you know work rate or who's got the better uh, the more athletic roster, but just in terms of star power, drawing power. Uh, if they haven't already, by the end of this year, AEW might have WWE beat. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, uh, that that's what I mean, where it, you, you start to get a sense of a of a tide turning. Like you said, I'm not saying, you know, WWE is not going to be, 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 you know, closing shop anytime soon. Let's just say, I mean, yeah, they are the standard, but there are moves being made. You just feel it. There are things happening. You look at what happened in, say, for example, the New York market where AEW in the New York market outselling WWE, uh, who is running Madison Square Garden. I mean, these are things that uh, would have been unthinkable at one time, just uh, totally unthinkable. Yeah, yeah. And and but again, WWE has always been able to have play that card that like, well, we're the one with the stars. But that's a lot less the case. I mean, think about like, you know, you go in a store and. Um, they've got uh, pillowcases for sale, and <laughs> there's AW branded pillowcases and WW branded pillowcases, and you know those AW pillowcases are going to have John, C- not John Cena, I'm sorry, uh, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho and John Moxley, and uh, maybe CM Punk and maybe Daniel Bryan and on and on. And what do the WWE ones have? I mean, for the moment, they're probably still more recognizable, um, but you know, your pillowcases are going to have. I don't know, Oscar. <laughs> you know, it reminds me. It reminds me of that weird moment right after the Montreal screw job when when Brett was the one that went to WCW, and it was before you know Austin really exploded, and even honestly before Rock exploded, he was still in the Nation of Domination and things. And you're looking and you're going like, oh my God, like what do they got? They got the Undertaker. Yeah. Shawn Michaels. I mean, there was that moment where you're like, wow, they have The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels and that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a real and and which makes it that much more surprising in some ways that they'd let go of a Braun Strowman or a uh, a, a Bray Wyatt. Now, they can say cost cutting. We didn't have a lot for them. Um, You know, again, you got to kind of have to roll your eyes at the cost cutting thing when when you look at the kind of money that. WWE's made over the last uh, a couple years, and what would these salaries make a difference in in the big picture for them? But if only, um, you know, not not just because you don't want them to go to AEW, because in in both those cases, I'm not sure that either are a good fit over there. I mean, it, they could happen, uh, and I guess there's some talk of maybe Braun coming back of uh, to WWE, but but just in in terms of star power, and those two guys are. Uh, I would say over the last 10 years, among the bigger stars they've had, I mean, bona fide main event stars that they created. Uh, and and so you'd, it, it's sort of surprising that they'd be okay just letting them go when it's not that apparent that there are people in the pipeline to, to take their place. You know, I yeah. think we've talked about that, but, but who, who are the guys on the come up who are going to be those who's, who are going to fill in um, Bray Wyatt's spot on the roster or Braun Strowman's spot uh, on the roster. It, 
you know, it, it's not at all apparent that, that they're there. And meanwhile, you know, the moves they, they have made, which are understandable, but it's been John Cena. It's been Goldberg. Uh, right. I mean, uh, this this tells all the time. Right. I mean, um, that's not the future of your company. No. And I, and I want to say, too, I don't know if you saw this and you haven't mentioned it. So it makes me think maybe you haven't. But Ric Flair. Now, this is not somebody obviously that's going to wrestle. This is no longer a main event guy, but extremely symbolic to me. Ric Flair has gotten his release from WWE. I did know that. Wow. And uh, there were pictures of him having lunch with Jim Ross on Twitter just a couple of days ago. So I think, you you know, you don't have to be, you know, his son-in-law is there. You don't have to be a genius to imagine that's clearly what he's going to do. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard are there. You know, th- this is a symbolic thing more than anything. I mean, Ric Flair going over there, you know, where, as we've seen, the track record of how they treat their legends is better than WWE. WWE treats them like clowns. They treat them as people to be made fun of by the newer stars and kind of trampled on. And AEW treats them as legends, as, you know, not guys that are going to be winning the title or anything, but guys who are the advisors, you know, the puppet masters, guys that are respected. And, and, you know, I'm, it it makes you wonder, I mean, they're probably going to do better stuff with him even than, than what Vince was doing with him in recent years. Oh, I mean, what were they doing with him? They, they right. have, you know, the, the awful. <laughs> That's not a high bar, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot there. Uh, also, makes you wonder about Charlotte, right? I mean, I don't know what her contract situation is, uh, but I think it was, you know, pretty obvious she wasn't happy about being left off of WrestleMania. Um, her her uh, fiance uh, goes over to AEW. If her dad's talking over there, you you got to think. Uh, and again, not knowing when it would even be a possibility, but at some point, does does she, she become interested in going over there? And that's another huge one. You know, that's that's another face off of the uh, pillowcase, the pillowcase. If, if Charlotte's gone, I almost feel that that's inevitable now. Yeah, I, I just can't. I mean, I know. Uh, you know, I'm wondering what WWE's move is going to be. Do they say, well, we're, we're going to give her whatever she wants? You know, p- please don't leave. Or are they going to just be like, well? You know, I mean, uh, we can't really stop this and it's not worth it to keep her. Like, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, the latter has been more of, of the approach they've taken. Right. I mean, um, that was on, on one hand, you've got, you know, the the Braun Strowman's and the Bray Wyatt's that uh, and the Alistair Black's that they made the call. We don't have use for these guys anymore. Uh, but then there's also been, you know, people like Andrade who have been essentially begging uh, to be released and um they they acquiesced uh so they they don't seem to be and this is different from a, a year or two ago when AEW was getting started and and it um the mode was sort of like we need to keep everybody and there were reports of even mid-card stars being offered huge contracts just so they wouldn't go over to the competition they seem to be less worried about that now uh than before and and there was uh, the remarks that vince mcmahon made at the uh, latest uh investor earnings call last week where i think he was asked outright you know do, do you see aw's competition and he said they they did not uh what do you make of that i mean is it is he just being insincere dishonest uh or yes. do you think yes. that there's a blind spot there that he doesn't realize how big this is getting well um i think when it comes to uh nick khan it's possible that he may just that he may mean what he's saying. He he may, but if he does, you know, he, he's a fool, and it could be that he just hasn't been around this business long enough to get it. Uh, 
when Vince says that, he's clearly full of it because we all, you know, we've seen it in the past. The, the old time mentality is do not acknowledge your competition, right? Publicly. And, and, you know, but we now know in hindsight how obsessed he was with Ted Turner, you know, for years and, and even Vern Gagne before that obsessed with destroying him and things like that. And, and Bischoff in later years and, uh, you know, clearly, he considers AEW as competition. Clear. I mean, I mean, Nick Khan said that they consider sleep as competition. I mean, how seriously can you take somebody that says that? You know, I mean, in, in a way, it's sort of like what they have to say or what they feel they have to say because they're minimizing the competition. But I see this as this is the fruition of you know people have talked about how long they've worked specifically post Attitude Era and especially post Cena to create this environment where it's all about the brand, right? They're not depending on star power. Uh, They don't want people to become bigger than the company. They don't want to deal with that headache anymore. And it almost feels like that attitude now has opened them up to this problem they are now in where they succeeded in doing that. And it's all about the brand, but now the brand itself is losing its appeal. And now you have a company that's competing with you. That is not taking that attitude. That is taking the attitude of, yes, we want the stars. We want the names that people want to see. We want the legends. We want the main eventers and, and they're starting to, to turn the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this through the perspective of of SummerSlam, which seems to be WWE kind of trying to put their best foot uh, forward, maybe even more so than WrestleMania, especially when you talk about bringing back uh, somebody like John Cena, to a lesser extent, uh, Goldberg. Um, What what do you think about uh, this card? What do you think about the return of John Cena, the work he's done so far? You know, not surprisingly, he he does seem to be uh, a difference maker. You know, absence does seem to have made the the, the heart grow fonder. Fans are going reacting to him in a big way. I think he's done great work in the last couple of weeks. Um, could this be a, a turning point for WWE? I think he's he's done the job they wanted him to do, and then some. I mean, they couldn't have asked for anything better than what he's been doing, and he's having the same effect that he used to have back in the day, where like his name is moving the needle, you know, like shows that were struggling to sell out are now probably going to sell out because people know that he's on this big tour and he's making all these appearances and, you know, they're lucky to have somebody that can still do that, you know, but, but in the big picture, I mean, what happens when he's gone, right? I mean, not to, not to kill the buzz, but, but this is a short term thing what happens after SummerSlam do we think they're gonna put the belt on him I mean I tend to think not but I mean maybe who the heck knows what's happening right now right or, or will they decide screw it we're gonna we're gonna you know give Cena another title reign because people don't see that coming I mean maybe they will who who knows or maybe they'll do it despite flair to get to give <laughs> Cena the <laughs> right, seventh that, world title, title yeah. uh, but but Cena as great as he is he's and even the rock these are short-term fixes. This is not how you turn things around in the big picture. Uh, these are short-term things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree. I think Cena's been phenomenal. I, I don't uh, discount the possibility of him winning the title. Um, you know, I, I don't – I'd have to um, c- 
kind of see what the plan was, but certainly you could do something where he he wins it, holds on to it some months, loses it back to Reigns. You wouldn't think it would do that much damage uh, to Reigns, um, and and maybe ultimately it would even help him if if he gets that win over him down the line to win the title. Um, so I think it's possible. Maybe they're going to kind of call an, an audible between now and then and and see. Um, how the crowds are reacting, but but you look down, you know, you got those two top matches. Um, Roman, who's also doing great work in in, in this feud with uh, Cena, I just I love the stuff with uh, Balor last week and him asking Balor, "Did you see the promo that he cut?" I mean, so clearly that it, it was kind of eating away at him. You know, uh, Cena being there, uh, he's just fantastic. Um, and, but but you look down that card and and you know. Again, where, where is that next generation? How about Balor? You know, um, back on the main roster, another guy who got a big, big reaction. Not exactly a new face or, or a young face, but a guy who I think um, has an upside that 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 hasn't been totally sort of uh, reached or utilized. You'd think he's got the makings of like a top guy. He's just super charismatic, great looking guy, super exciting. Um, you know, he comes out, fans get on their feet. You know, could could this be the beginning of, of the big run that, that Balor, um, that people wanted to see Balor get all along? I'd like to see that. I think the, the biggest thing, a couple of things that, that have held them back on pulling the trigger on him, I really believe, is his size. Yep. yep. Which is weird to me because, you know, we did see Daniel Bryan and things like that. And we are in in a different era but I still think, yeah, I mean, pardon the pun, but I mean, I still think that carries some weight. I do in the decision-making process. I also think he might be seen as a little injury prone, especially after what happened, like right after they made him the first universal <laughs> champion. Like, I think that kind of derailed him a little bit. Uh, but, but I think he could be a lot bigger, um, than in terms of star power than where he is right now. If they, if they handled him a little bit better. The Goldberg thing, I, I do not understand. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. I mean, why anybody would still care at this point? I feel like he is as dead as can be. It's almost like, at this point, people just like to chant his name. It's kind of fun for like ten seconds, and and then that's it. I mean, the guy, and not to mention the guy at this point is really like a jobber. I mean, I mean, he just. Yeah. Talked- out and he loses and then he comes back again a year later and he loses like like when are people going to see through this already I, I guess maybe never i don't know it, it kind of reminds me of like uh tank abbott in his uh in, in his waning days in mma where he lived off this reputation from years ago but all he would do is go out and lose 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 or even bob sap uh to, to lesser extent it's like living off of this um, past glory and kind of reputation for dominance. But uh, yeah, I mean, the problem with Goldberg is the only way it works is if he's running through people and you can't do that. Right. I mean, when when you're trying to, to build your roster and, and uh, this one's even kind of more problematic because even in Bobby Lashley, you got a guy who's 45 years old. Uh, So it's not so much, you know, Lashley should be in the position of, of helping um, create that, that next young star not being the young star that that is getting the rub from uh, working uh, a guy like uh, Goldberg. So th- they really do need to start planning ahead. I mean, I imagine some of it happens with the next uh, shakeup or draft or whatever they they call it. And, you know, you create some fresh matchups. Th- there are some guys who I don't know 
you know, how serious they'll get behind them, but who are at least kind of positioned to to maybe be uh, elevated. You think of a biggie, think of uh, Riddle. Uh, again, neither of those guys spring chickens anymore. I mean, you're talking about two guys who are in their, their mid to late 30s. Um, but, you know, Keith Lee kind of back on TV. Um, but, man, there's just... Again, I mean, g- given these these problems with roster depth, it's it's so surprising to see them in the mode of cutting top stars. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think Keith Lee was more over in the months that he was off TV than from the second they put him back on TV. And killed him, yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, Karrion Cross. I mean, they they bring in Karrion Cross to have him lose to Jeff Hardy in his first uh, match. It's just it's stunning. It's uh, um, you know, you can't even put it into words. It's just it's so puzzling. So, so much of it feels almost just sort of spiteful, almost like a rib, yeah. you know, like I, a, have a, I have a theory about that. I think there is spite involved. I think I think there was always this kind of behind the scenes friction I felt between Vince and Triple H over the value of NXT and whether it's developmental or whether it's a hot brand by itself. And with obviously, you know, Triple H championing NXT and Vince being the skeptical one. But I feel I and I feel like Vince finally kind of relented and say, OK, OK, I'll, let's give this a shot. And I think they're what's perceived as their defeat to AEW Dynamite on Wednesday nights. I think that was a bit of a nail in a coffin as mm-hmm. far as Vince is concerned. Like, screw this. I gave this a shot. Like you said, this is a Bush League brand and that's it. That's my last word on it. And I think that's what we're seeing happen right now. Well, you know, that's fine. Uh, but then where are you going to get your wrestlers from? You <laughs> I'm know? not saying it's logical, right? <laughs> no, I know. But, but I mean, where, where is the pipeline? I mean, if, if you're kind of writing off your pipeline and if you're uh, saying the top guys to come out of NXT will be fodder for guys like Jeff Hardy on, on the main roster. Um, if you know, it's your, your company, um, to, to make the decision with, but you, you gotta, where are your stars going to come from, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, beyond that? Because as you touched on, I mean, the, the added challenge now is that those young stars coming up the ranks, um, th- the dream was always to come to WWE, right? And now that seems less so than maybe ever before, where um, it, it's not necessarily the pinnacle. Now, you, you looked at this other company that's paying guys huge and are, and are on primetime TV and doing big numbers and where all the stars are at, and um, that becomes uh, the goal. So it's interesting. I mean, you, you do, do see little things. You see them um, um, kind of opening up more to, to impact wrestling. There's been more of a, a of a pipeline there than I think in the past. Remember, that that was TNA. They weren't touched for years. And now you do see, I don't want to say steady stream, but but we're, we're about to hear from um, Frankie Monet, the former Taya Valkyrie. Uh, who who came from over there and um, some others too certainly in NXT so you know maybe maybe that's someplace um, that they're looking yeah there was some interest I guess in New Japan but that seems to have uh, closed and now it's AEW clearly with more of the relationship with New Japan Ring of Honor just isn't what it used to be uh, in terms of uh, producing stars so uh, I just don't know where that pipeline is if they're kind of like dismissing NXT. I think what you might start to see happen, this is total conjecture on my part, but it would take a little bit of swallowing of pride. But at at a certain point, if Vince and the WWE are willing to acknowledge AEW as our legitimate competition, they may eventually start to take the tack that they did back in the day, even of national expansion, which is 
We're going to poach their guys. We're going to acknowledge, yes, and I'm not saying they'll even be successful, but we're going to say, you know what? Yes, Hangman Adam Page is a mm-hmm. major star, and we want him. And and if they do things like that, where they start taking AEW's homegrown guys, that might be what they turn into their 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 pipeline, which is their competition. But to do that, you've got to lure them over with something. Obviously, money, right? And and they could afford to pay him whatever, but. Um, you know, I think a Hangman Page or any of those guys, it's a different generation. I don't think they're going to be as starstruck by by the prospect of, oh, wow, I get to work for WWE and and work on WrestleMania. It's just different, you know, and so I think to lure them over, you really got to offer them something special. I don't know what that is. Again, money, but the Khan family's got pretty deep pockets uh, themselves, so... If, if it became a bidding war, I don't know the WWE would win it, you know. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. It is a very different landscape now. And I don't know if uh, if that type of philosophy would even work. But but it might be something that they try of saying, like, let's see. Let's let them yeah. create the names and then we take from them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. At least try. Let's try. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fascinating times. Yeah. All right, Brian. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, appreciate it. We'll be back uh, soon, maybe with another uh, kind of preview of SummerSlam or at least a review of SummerSlam uh, coming up later uh, this month. Uh, right now, uh, let's hear from one of the newer stars uh, of NXT, our very own uh, Candice Cordelia. She does great work for us over on our YouTube channel, interviewing a lot of stars. She recently sat down with NXT star Frankie Monet. Hi, everyone. This is Candace Cordelia coming to you again with another exclusive interview for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I am sitting here virtually with the one and only Frankie Monet of WWE NXT. How are you today, Frankie? Great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much for being able to sit with me and chat. We have a lot to get into. But first of all, you know, I just wanted to get more into the background of your talents as a wrestler. I understand that you have a background in dance and fitness and ballet and gymnastics. So. I'm very layered. I have many layers. <laughs> As you do, as you do. So my first question for you today is really, how did you get started in so many athletic uh, endeavors? Um, I mean, obviously my parents were the first ones to put me in dance and all these kinds of things when I was a little kid. Like I think I started ballet and gymnastics when I was three, three or four years old. So obviously at that time, it's your parents seeing that you're, you know, have athletic ability or you like to perform. And I was always a ham, like constantly. I remember like as kids, me and my sister and our friend, start, and this is a now is so funny to me. It's like, we started a like dance theater company in our living room and we were calling ourselves the superstars of all things. And uh, we used to charge our parents money and we put on like full productions. Like if it was our favorite movie or like whatever it could be. I think we did the Nutcracker like a million times. <laughs> so, I mean, I've always just been that kid, that person that loves to perform. So I think that that my parents saw that in me. And so they put me in gymnastics and ballet and musical theater. And, and also I was very athletic. So I, you know, played soccer. I ran, you know, track and field all the way through high school. Um, so it's just kind of sports entertainment really has been part of my life, my entire life. Uh, so it was kind of, and a lot of people say like, isn't it a little weird or different that like you come from this super classical ballet training, trained person into wrestling. And the answer is it's not weird to me. I think that 
that so many aspects cross over the worth work ethic, uh, the determination that you have to have to become, you know, at a certain level within the world of sports entertainment is very similar to how, you know, hard it is to be in the world of ballet or any sort of, you know, of the arts. So I think it all really led me to this moment. And at first I feel like my parents didn't really get it because I don't come from pro wrestling, but over time, you know, they came and saw my, me in shows, you know, in Canada, they saw me in shows in Mexico, they saw me in shows in the States and now they're huge fans. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. I mean, when you told your parents or your family rather that you wanted to be a wrestler, what was their initial reaction to that? Um, my mom and my dad were both like very surprised, but at the same time, I have always been very supportive of all these kind of strange ideas that I have. So, or just that they, you know, like I left after high school to go uh, study ballet at the university of Calgary. And then like, from there I got into fitness. And, and so I've always just kind of been like exploring these other facets of, of, you know, sports and entertainment. So it was when I said I was getting into wrestling, they were just kind of like, okay, you know, I had a lot of friends on the other hand that thought I was completely out of my mind. Uh, but I mean, I think that's part of it. I feel like when you are the one person that sees a vision or you're the one person that sees that dream, it doesn't matter if there's, you know, five or a hundred people saying that they don't really think that's a good idea or that they don't believe in you because ultimately I'm the one who knew that this was something I wanted to do. I'm the one that had to, you know, put myself through all the training and traveling and stuff because it didn't matter. I always knew what the end goal was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your fans have followed you through your tenure in multiple promotions and working in so many matches, doing amazing work. And now you're with WWE it sounds like you always knew that this was going to be a place that you'd end up. Is that correct? Yes. I always saw this as the be all and end all. I mean, it's the WWE. This is where, you know, you want to be, this is where you come to be seen to be around the best, you know, sports entertainers in the world. So ultimately I knew that this was my end goal. I, of course there's times when I was like, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? But just like I said, like I had this vision, I'm a very, determined person when I have something in my head and I like, I'm going for that. There's no, I can never be told. No, I will continue to like claw my way to like, you know, prove that I belong or, or, or or prove that I am as good as I am or whatever it is, you know? So I've just always been very determined and that determination and stubbornness maybe to a certain level got me here, you know, and it's taken me over a decade. I wouldn't have it any other way. This is exactly where I'm meant to be in this moment. The universe has a plan. Like it always has a plan. It tests us so many times along the way, but this is where I'm meant to be. And I I couldn't be prouder to be part of the WWE universe and a part of NXT. Mm -hmm. And you've always struck me personally as someone who's very sharp minded, very business oriented, oriented and knows exactly what you want to do. And having said that now you are venturing into the world of film. You have a movie out now called unchained, which the premise sounds to me amazing. (laughs) I'm such a huge horror movie adventure buff. And and when I first read the synopsis, I was like, I have to see this. This sounds awesome. So if you don't mind talking to our audience about your role in the movie, what the movie is about, and just what led up to being cast in Unchained. So my character in the movie is someone that is completely different than what you see on your TV screens, uh, you know, every Tuesday night on NXT or that you've seen along the way in my career. Uh, she is a very stripped down. She is very 
harsh. She is a, a badass. I mean, that's, you know, part of who I am anyways, but no, she's just very different than who Frankie is or who Ty Valkyrie is. And I just think that it was very interesting for me to take on a role like that uh, and be stripped down. You know, there was not a lot of makeup except for dirt and, you know, my hair is pulled back and it's very unglamorous, but I think that that's really interesting and important to kind of test out, you know, your acting ability and your ability to kind of go in and out of different kind of roles. So I think it was a great experience for me. I'm forever grateful, even though like it, I'm sad that it took so long to come out, but here we are pandemic, pandemic year. Let's, let's chalk that up as a loss, but uh, I'm just happy that it's out now. It's available now on Amazon prime. Everyone can check it out unchained. It's like an action thriller. Uh, and I think you're all really going to enjoy it. Excellent. Excellent. How did you prepare for the role? Did you have to employ an acting coach or what went into that? I did not. I practice just practice. And I just really thought about, you know, when you're in sports entertainment, everything is so big because you're projecting across this arena or wherever you are. Right. And when you're in a television or a different television situation or in a film, like the cameras are like literally here. <laughs> so I really had to practice, like, just not like being so big and really bring it back. And, and that was, that was really fun. And honestly, my husband, John helped me a lot and like going through everything. My mom went actually, when she watched the movie, she was just like, Oh my gosh, I've just never seen you just so calm. And like, just like right there in that moment, like that, just that close to you. Um, so I'm glad, like, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I think it's definitely a, a stepping stone and I love challenging myself with new things. And this was definitely a challenge for me, but in the best possible way. Now, Eric Roberts is also in this movie. And I'm just curious to know if he gave you any acting advice, if you have any scenes with him or anything of that nature. I did not have any scenes with him at all. Uh, everything was very condensed. I can remember I was shooting Impact and then I was literally flying back to Los Angeles to do my parts in the movie. So we were just kind of, everything was done very quickly. So I did not get a chance to meet him. Uh, my mom asked the same question. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's cool. I got to work with, uh, you know, the lead mayor Mulroney and a bunch of the women. And I was, was really happy to see them really like try to do, you know, doing these fight scenes. A lot of them had never done anything like this before. There's a lot of woman empowerment, uh, in this film. So, uh, it was really great. That's cool. And is there a director that you would actually love to work with? It sounds like film is, is in your future. So I'm just curious to know. I'm know. just going to go for the biggest, you know, someone like a Steven Spielberg. Yes, you have to. You have to. Why not? you got to aim high. I always say, like, I always have these goals and I always try to, like, there's never a top of the mountain for me. Like, and I've been told that before by people like, are you ever just happy with something? And I'm like, no, I am always trying to go higher and higher up the mountain and find these goals that a lot of people are going to think are absolutely ridiculous, but I don't see them that way. So, I mean, I'll just say, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, in the future. <laughs> Steven Spielberg for sure, right? And speaking of climbing to the mountaintop and having so many goals, you're also a fashion designer, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. You have your Loka clothing range. So, and you also just all spent, uh, I believe it's a little over a year anniversary. So congratulations with that. So Thank in you. terms of Loka, what's next for the clothing range going into 2022? <sighs> well, 
Loca, I mean, I, I started in fashion school last year, actually, right? Pre-pandemic, I was registered. I spent all last year in school through the pandemic, which honestly, honestly was such a, like a savior to me because I needed this kind of creative outlet because I just wasn't being able to perform. And, and that's when Loca was created literally out of my kitchen, uh, you know, hand dyeing everything on it by myself. And now we've grown and I've even, you know, done a cut and sew collection in the winter that just went past. And, um, I'm just learning as I go. And I'm just very thankful that my fans and everyone has been so supportive of something that I've always wanted to do. And I feel like there's the summer collection is coming out any day now. It's just difficult just because, you know, everybody's still recovering from the pandemic and trying to get a lot of things shipped from overseas or different things like that can be a whole other ball game as the, compared to like what it was a few years ago. So everything's a little bit slower going, but um, I'm really happy to say that we're going to continue to be doing projects and continuing to doing drop in collections. And just, I'm very thankful for everybody who follows Look at my tie of Valkyrie. And this is just kind of like another outlet for me to be creative. And I think that that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Like, I'm always looking for like creative things to do. If it's not, you know, designing clothes or doing skits or, you know, writing promos or, you know, coming up with different ideas for my matches that are in the future, you know, I'm always being creative. And getting into your matches because we have to talk a little bit of wrestling, obviously. So, you recently did a promo where you put the whole women's locker room on notice and you were like, I'm pretty much coming for anyone that wants the smoke. So besides, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, true. <laughs> so besides Raquel Gonzalez, you know, of course you would want that women's NXT championship title. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't? But besides Raquel, who else are you, do you have your eyes on that you want to go toe to toe in the ring with? <laughs> Evil. <laughs> um, I, I really, and I know this just sounds so just like blah, but like it's absolutely everyone. Like I, I am here to prove myself. I'm here to show that I am the best at what I do, and I've proven that in other companies. I've proven that for over a decade, and I'm here to do it at NXT and in the WWE. So ultimately, I want to be champion. That is the goal. That's always the goal. So whoever I have to, you know, walk over and break down and beat to get to Raquel, I have no problem doing it. All my work is, I mean, I back up everything that I say and I have for years. So this is just another opportunity to go after what I want. And like we said, reach for the top of that mountain and keep going. So right now that's my goal. And I don't care what girls say what or who's who I'm here to take out Shotzi, take out Dakota, take out Raquel, take out Ember. I do not care because I know that I what a loca that Frankie Monet is here on this planet to do that just that and that's to be champion. Yes, that was a promo in and of itself. So okay. <laughs> I'm here for it. So is there any advice that you now being in WWE, making your dreams come true, having all of these creative ventures? Is there any advice that you would give to aspiring wrestlers, especially women wrestlers that want to? <sighs> um, I think number one always find 
the most reputable school you have. I was very lucky to have found the Storm Wrestling Academy when I first started in Calgary. Lance Storm was continued to be kind of like my wrestling uncle through all of this. Uh, you know, find a school that has an amazing reputation and have the best trainers. That is always so, so important, not only for yourself, but for your safety, for the safety of your opponent, and also to just have like really responsible advice, you know? Uh, and as for, as for, in, as for women in this industry, it's, it's about being your authentic self. Don't ever let someone try to put you in a box. I have destroyed the box. <laughs> like I am myself. I am Frankie. I'm Kira. I am this person. And like, I've been told no a million times, but you need to realize that that's part of sports entertainment. That is part of what we do. And we get down, we get pushed down, we get back up. It'll take 1 million no's before you get a good, like a yes, you know? So you just have to be prepared for the grind and work your butt off and know that like, if this is what you want to do, you can absolutely do it. You have to commit to it 10 million percent, but there is a way to be in this beautiful industry known as sports entertainment and absolutely kill it. <laughs> what did Lance Storm say to you when you finally made it to WWE. Was there any, any advice that he gave to you? He's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was just so proud of me. He knows like what I've been through and like how far I've come and all the struggles that I've had. And, you know, he's just always been there for me. And so he was just so happy to see me thrive and get to where I've always wanted to be after all of the, you know, obstacles and, you know, curves in the road that I've traveled. And I mean, everyone knows I've definitely taken the road less traveled when it comes to being, uh, you know, in sports entertainment. And so, uh, that's called being stubborn. It's called being determined. He was just extremely proud of me and just excited to see what I was going to do. I love it. I love it. And I have to mention your cute Pomeranian Presley. Presley! <laughs> I was kind of hoping that he would make a sneak appearance. Uh, I'm actually right now at the PC, so he's not here with me. So cute. So whose idea was that? Was that all your idea to bring, bring Presley, you know, into the fold? I just, it's so weird because I feel like I just can't remember if there was one specific person, but I think that when we're, you know, having meetings about, about Frankie and everything like that, like sh the, it's very obvious that I love my dogs. If anyone who knows me and my husband, John, on social media, it's like every second picture is of Bowie and Presley. <laughs> so it just kind of became a thing, you know, or it was just an idea. And I'm, I think it's amazing. Presley has been in, you know, has done indies with me before. He's been in a few movies. He's been in a few like uh, segments and things like that. So he deserves this shot. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just so proud of him and he's been so easy to like work with everyone's like he's so trained I'm like listen he will do anything for treats I think he thinks that the PC is where the bacon factory is because like you know we're all he's always getting treats for like doing his little his little parts and like running down the hallway or whatever but it's been really really fun and he's definitely very comfortable here now. He loves everyone. He's kind of become the therapy pet that everyone's like, Oh my God, Presley, Presley, Presley. He's, he's just been an absolute sweetheart. And you know, that those people asking like, how is he so calm when you walk to the ring with him or anything? It is because he's been brought up around wrestling when we had him as a baby. Like when we first brought him home, we had a ring at our house. So Presley was in the ring you know, running around and hearing the ropes when we, he was outside and people were working and out and stuff like that. So he's just kind of, he's a second generation 
Pomeranian. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. When is Bowie going to get into the action? Okay, well, Bowie, whew, Bowie <laughs> Bowie's the wild child, as we say. You know, Presley's like super calm and Bowie's crazy. So he's just over a year old. Presley's almost five. So Bowie needs to have a little bit more training and hopefully we will see him sometime soon. (laughs) Fair enough. We're here for it. We're absolutely waiting and ready. And, you know, I also have to mention the whole Johnny Drip Drip, the story (laughs) behind how that nickname came about. And I understand it was born out of listening to Cardi B. And, you know, there are rumors that Cardi B may show up at SummerSlam. So if you were to ever meet Cardi B, what would be the one thing that you would say to her? I'd be like, you know that you're responsible for this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I am a huge Cardi B fan. I'm obsessed with her. I love her style. I love how like unapologetic she is. Uh, I know she's a fan of, you know, WWE and has been since she was a kid. Like, come on, let's go. Let's fight. I think that we should have Bad Bunny and Cardi B versus Johnny Drip Drip and Frankie Drip Drip. I mean, come on. (laughs) Please universe, let that happen. (laughs) That would be so fun. <laughs> it would be with Presley just kind of rooting you guys on. <laughs> yeah, I have a giant, like, Presley bedazzled drip drip chain. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, I would absolutely, absolutely 100% love to see it. So, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And thank you for being you because we've seen, you know, your hardcore fans have seen you grow up in this industry. You've come such a long way. And it's really, really amazing to see you at NXT doing your thing, being unapologetically yourself. So thank you so much for your gifts and your talents. Uh, Thank you. And I'm so thankful for the fans that have followed, you know, the last 10 years, 10 plus years of my career and who have seen me grow, like you said. And I'm so thankful for these new fans that I have and for the haters as well. (laughs) I did it. <laughs> Do you have any parting words for us? Anything that we should look out for as you make uh, just just we continue to support the you know the era of Monet and uh I just can't wait to you know be in the totally in the mix and everything that's gonna be happening over this next year and beyond and to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Frankie Monet WWE all one word Frankie with a Y and then also on uh Facebook we have a new official WWE Frankie Monet page so make sure you give that a like. Excellent. Thank you so much, Frankie. We can't wait to see what you get up to next. Thank you so much. We love you and we are here for your success and for Presley and John Morrison's success. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you everyone for watching this interview on Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Stay tuned for more exclusive content. I'm your host, Candice Cordelia, signing off.